Welcome to the Broad Beta Podcast. Broad Beta is a space to openly share women's and genderqueer experiences of adventures in the wild from the ordinary to the heroic. We bring you raw stories with the beta on the food, gear, and technical tips behind them. Our featured broads behind Broad Beta are climbers, backcountry skiers, and outdoor adventurers of all kinds. We aim to inspire and inform each other through our stories. Thank you for listening. Today you'll hear from Anju Samuelson, a climber and mountain guide based in Bozeman, Montana. She's going to tell you a little bit about herself and read her story, Climbing with Lurking Fear. It's part of a trilogy that we published in the first edition of Broad Beta back in November 2021. Hello everyone, thanks for listening. My name is Andrew Samuelson. I am originally from Germany and I live in Bozeman, Montana. I really like going climbing in the Clarks Fork. That is technically in Wyoming, but probably the best climbing in Montana. Um, I also like going ice climbing and dry tooling in Highlight Canyon. Um, I like going into the Beartooth Mountains. I like rock climbing in Gallatin Canyon. And I really love Wolverine Bowl in the Bridger Mountains. And this is all pretty close by Bozeman. Oh, and then my other favorite area is Big Bear Canyon. That's also close to Bozeman with some beautiful limestone cliffs. I started rock climbing when I was traveling in Chile when 19 years old after finishing high school. And I got introduced by some Chilean friends into the sport and I was really excited about it. Before that, I was a competitive English horseback rider. So I always had something in my life that I was very passionate about and spent a lot of time towards. And when I moved back to Germany, I decided to move into the South because I'm from the flatlands in Berlin. And there I actually started to learn how to rock climb on the limestone cliffs in that area. And in the first year, I did a trip with my best friend to Romania. And we both love traveling and being in different cultures where you can't speak the language, but are just able to communicate with the people anyways. And it was a really awesome experience. And I learned that climbing is a really good way of traveling and meeting new people and discovering the landscape and the nature. I think I actually inspired Jeannie and Leslie from Broad Beta to write their view of the story because I wrote the story first to have a close-up for my accident that I experienced on the route. I do that quite often when I have something going on in my life. I like writing about it and sharing it and it yeah makes me feel, I don't know, just being able to close with that chapter. Climbing was lurking fear. One night in Bozeman, Montana, one of my climbing partners, Leslie, came over to my house to talk about some of the routes in Yosemite Valley she was interested in. I'm saying she, because I couldn't really tell the difference between eight routes. I only knew that when the grades go higher, the routes become more dangerous. My lack of knowledge made me nervous and made me wonder if I should even choose such an objective. But I had that urge to climb a big wall, and looking around at my peers, I felt that I was just as qualified. Once in the valley, I studied the topo of the Salathe wall, and again questioned my urge to do a big wall. 
Endless questions swirled in my mind. What if I can't keep up with my partners? What if I hold everyone back and must bail on one of the pitches? Originally, Leslie, Jeannie and I planned to climb the Selassie wall on El Capitan, but the unprotected chimney pitches had us doubting our abilities. After climbing for three weeks in the valley, we decided to climb Lurking Fear instead. Lurking Fear is known for being a more beginner climb with the 19 pitches and the 5.6 C2 plus grading. A wall the size felt more approachable and it was my first time big wall A climbing, a bit of fit to learn on and gain experience. After a rainy weekend, we queued up alongside multiple other parties to fix the lower pitches of the route. The first day passed slowly while passing one party and sitting in hanging belays for eight pitches. We had some splitter C1 pitches, but the hanging in the harness got all of us pretty tired. I thought I would finish the day with a C1 off with pitch. A pitch of climbing had never felt so slow and never ending. I bumped two f- number four cams for 80 feet until I could leave another pitch of gear. It was terrifying. The climb traumatized me by being exposed and only depending on those two number four cams that would surely not fail and had to be placed thoughtfully. I guess I was nerve-wracked when I finally got to another hanging belay. Once Jeannie and Leslie followed up, we got the hallback stuck at the very bottom. Time passed and it got dark. I was getting terrified of climbing in the dark. With headlamps and exhaustion, I couldn't trust my own, nor my partner's judgment anymore, especially with rope work. Leslie offered to take the lead and began to quest to find a bivy spot that was off-route and supposed to be a traverse. She passed a bivy with two boys that were not willing to share their small edge with us at all. At this point, I was so overwhelmed and tired with the darkness that I just wanted her to come down and set up our portal edge or hanging belay instead. Poor Leslie was confident she would find a better bivy and convinced Jeannie that we ought to keep moving. This turned out to be the right decision. Jeannie and Leslie had been falling at this point and felt more energized than I did. Deep into the night, we made it to our ledge and set up camp for the night. We ate dinner at midnight and witnessed the controlled burns in the valley. It felt unreal to see the valley floor burning while we were sleeping high up on the wall. I was so tired and worried, worried about not being able to continue to climb the next morning because I was so tired. Leslie and Jeannie shared the tiredness, but once we packed up camp, we all felt energized enough to continue moving. I was surprised by the transformation of my body from exhaustion to normal climbing ability. We were immediately reminded of the popularity of this route. The two boys, 26 and 17, were still in camp when we wrapped down to them to get back on route. I waited at the bivy and watched Jeannie and Leslie navigate the next three pitches. Once Jeannie almost finished her pitch, a speed party showed up and started to climb right on her gear. They were passing the boys and us. They were boys, of course, too. At some point, the leader started talking about a rope on route and Jeannie asked very politely, Are you talking to me? It is hard in those moments to not get a feeling of ignorance and disrespect from climbers like him. I can't tell how women usually behave since I rarely pass women in the mountains. But to me, it seems like men have the very typical attitude of pushing their own ego at any cost. We were not concerned that they were faster. In fact, I was quite amazed by it. But we expected respect and empathy from everyone else on the wall. The rest of the day went well. We arrived in daylight at an incredible bivy that we had to ourselves. It was a medium-sized platform with caves building up along the ledge. We went to bed early and gave our bodies a well-deserved rest. We felt like the worst was behind us, with only a few more pitches guarding the summit above. The next morning, Jeannie and I rochambeaued for the last two free-climbable pitches in Jeannie 1. We all were very excited to get to the top so early. On the first pitch of the ledge, we left a cam a little off route and I was not able to clean it as a follower. 
We left the cam in place and Jeannie continued leading up the second pitch while Leslie and I sat comfortably on a small ledge. As Jeannie climbed up, we shouted up to her to suggest she lower down and clean the left cam while on lead. She put in a piece of gear and weighted the rope. At the belay, Leslie was to the left of me and we were sitting in slack in our personal ankle systems. The hallbacks were hanging on the steep wall to our right. Suddenly, Jeannie's piece blew while she was lowering off. Leslie got pushed to the right into me and the rope wrapped over my harness. Shocked, surprised and completely tangled in rope and hallbacks, we were unable to get out of our jumbled position at the belay. Jeannie, who was fortunately fine, immediately began to drum up the line that was strangling us. We fixed another line and Jeannie switched over, which released us from the weight of the rope and allowed us to assess our own condition. We were all rattled and I was concerned we weren't going to make it off the wall. As we calmed down after the initial event, I noticed Leslie's arm wedged in between our harnesses. Next, I became aware of the pain in my leg. Once we were all back on the ledge again, my leg pain continued and I took a few painkillers. I think Jeannie was still in shock and just continued up the route. Leslie was the most conscious of the three of us and pushed me to contact Akio, who was down on the valley floor. I wasn't sure how bad my leg was, but quickly realized that I couldn't really climb with it. I dragged my leg over the rock and used my knee instead of my foot. Leslie and Jeannie worked hard to get me safely up and to haul up the bags on the slow slabs. Daniel, a friend of ours, ran up to meet us on the summit. Shirtless and fresh-faced, he provided a sharp contrast to our haggard-looking crew. I took more painkillers, and the five of us, Jeannie, Leslie, Daniel, Akio, and I started on the east ledges. Without them, I would have lost all my motivation to endure the pain of walking. Every hour or so, I needed a break, and the tears of frustrations overwhelmed me. After slow eight hours, we all made it back to the parking lot. Leslie discovered an open wound on her forearm when we reached the top of the route, and Jeannie began to notice pain in her back from being caught by the rope in her harness. Other than that, we were lucky none of our injuries were worse. Back at home, my leg turned out to have a non-displaced fracture in the tibula head. I was devastated. The guiding season began and I wasn't able to work. My mind was still functional and decided to do a recap of our ascent in the backyard. I still couldn't have asked for a better experience climbing with these two women. We believed in each other's abilities, we supported each other and acknowledged each other's skills. There was little ego involved and we treated our ascent as if it was a problem we all worked on together and tried our best to solve. I knew that this ascent was going to be exhausting and hard for me, but it was an exhaustion and difficulty that I didn't give any judgment to. It wasn't because of my personal weakness or inability. It was hard because it was hard. With men, I often compare myself and view myself in a bad light, as if I'll never be able to achieve the things they can. Climbing with Jeannie and Leslie made me feel closer to my personal climbing. We all had different climbing abilities and different levels of experience, but we shared our emotions and were open to each other's thoughts and perceptions while on the wall. I felt more like a climber than ever before. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the story. Hey, speaking of stories, have you ever thought about sharing your story? We want your story. Yes, you. If you have shared any kind of climbing or skiing adventure as a team of women or gender fluid folks, we'd love to share it with our broad beta community. This is a space for our untold personal journeys, their joys, sorrows, struggles, and epiphanies. For more great content, check us out online at broadbeta.com. 
Intro music in today's episode is by Holizna Radio and conclusion music is by Rocky Marziano. Thanks for listening today.